This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. See, you know when I walk out here, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. All right, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? Episode 267, Talk Buffalo Podcast. Championship material, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Big thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to download. Listen to the show really means a lot to me. We're going to talk Buffalo Bills today, mainly anyway. Mid-season, I like doing this. Positional mid-season grades, we'll kind of go through the positions. Have a couple takes on them. Hand out our midseason grades, give out a couple awards again at the halfway point of the season. And to do that, I got my buddy with me today, recurring guest, co host of Cover One Buffalo Podcast, my buddy Aaron Quinn. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm living the dream, man. How you doing? <laughs> you know how I'm doing. No, 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 no small talk here, man. No bullshit. And it's been a uh, historically, absolutely, insanely crazy week. And you know, I've had you on enough times now. You kind of know how it is. We, we want to talk sports. I know people listen to this podcast to talk or to listen to, I should say, sports talk, some fun stuff, some pop culture stuff. We talk about weather and, you know, just the city of Buffalo, Western New York, stuff like that. I try very hard to refrain from political talk, but I mean, obviously this week it's just impossible to do that. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts right now? So by the way, I probably, let me set this table too. So hopefully people are listening to this Friday morning as Aaron and I get together to chop it up here. It's roughly eh, about 8 PM on Thursday night. No winter. It's been going on for a while. I don't know about you. I'm addicted. I've pretty much almost every waking hour since about four o'clock on Tuesday, I've been locked into either CNN or ABC, whatever I've had on. I've switched it up a little bit, but anyway, Minus maybe four or five hours of sleep I've got, and I've been locked into the election and the results, and impatiently but understandably, you know, waiting for this to end. What, what's been your vibe? What's been your your take on this week? Again, I, I know how crazy it is for everybody out there. Absolutely, yeah. So in social media, I try to stay away from all of it. Uh, my muted words and phrases is in the few hundreds. You're smarter. Uh, than, you're smarter than I am. I'll say that right I away. Tr- and it's not a echo chamber, right? Like I still pay attention to all the sides. I have friends on both sides of the aisle that voted for both uh, candidates. Uh, and I won't get into my own personal politics in this, but I am a fan of politics itself. Um, it's just that I'm not always a fan of everyone's opinion uh, necessarily on politics. Uh, but I like politics itself. So I do pay attention. I got excited to watch election night. I, we were chatting. I'm kind of one of those same guys that has my own maps up and maps up and following everything and staying up late. But really after election night and the way I saw it going, I 
just kind of stepped away. I, I watched a little bit of CNN here this evening. Um, and I got to say, like, I'm not even a fan of any of the news organizations. I flipped through all of them looking for someone to watch. And I felt all of them were super flawed, pushing their own agendas and their own opinions. It's not there's not a lot of unbiased reporting anymore, which is, I think, a problem in journalism. I think a, a kind of a problem to how we've gotten to where we are. Sure is. Yeah. With a way everybody talks about politics, there's just not a lot of unbiased opinions anymore uh, in how it's it's covered. And so that was frustrating to see. But once I kind of saw how this was going, and even on election night, they were saying, you know, Pennsylvania probably won't be counted through till Friday. Uh, and then you started to see that some of these other ones are going to be close and taking a long time. I told myself, like, I can't do this for three days and just watch every small percentage come through. I'm going to wait it out until we get one of these states to pop here out of what, what's left, five states. Uh, somebody's got to pop, and then I'll kind of pop back in and pay attention. So I've missed here really the last few days, but really nothing's changed. I think a lot of people have gotten upset uh, on both sides during the last few days, but nothing's changed here since election night, really. I mean, there's been a lot of up and downs but and people coming back, but we're, we don't really know a whole lot, right? Fill, fill me in. Well, let me say this. It's very, and again, for everyone listening, we're kind of venting out our own issues here a little bit. The bulk of this podcast will be Buffalo Bills talk. So don't be concerned about that. But yeah, look, I'm frustrated. First of all, I'm naturally, I'm I'm an impatient person. I have an issue with patience to begin with. Like I want results and I want them fast. But that said, as frustrating as this entire process is, it's also First of all, it's understandable given the the climate of the country. And I'm not even talking about the election. I'm talking about COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's also not surprising. You look at this map to this point. And again, as we're taping this at 8 p.m. on Thursday night, it is still not decided. It certainly looks very much like Joe Biden is going to win. For perspective and how I'm the opposite of you and how locked in I've been to, to a fault. There's this website called actionnetwork.com, all right? They're live betting odds, and you can't bet in America, so it's overseas, like in London. And I'm not saying right. that they know more than, I'm not saying that they have all these inside sources. By the way, I'm kind of watching CNN as we're talking. Joe Biden just went up from about 8,000 votes to 57,000 in Arizona. So anyway, getting back to Action Network, it has live odds. I And it updates every hour. I've refreshed that, you know, when free agency starts the first hour and I'm sure you're sitting there banging out refresh on Twitter or Facebook, For sure. trying to get your news or, you know, any draft information. I've been doing that with election odds and it opened up late night on Monday at 1130 PM Monday, Eastern time. And it's updated from every half hour to an hour or so. And the odds have just been crazy. I mean, it started out with Biden at around 60 um, election night. It got all the way down. He was down to like the low 30s. He was even down to 27. Trump was at 74.2. I'm looking now, 10 p.m. on election night. And then by the next day, if it, it switched to Biden. And now as we talk, it's like over 90% Biden. Again, I'm, looks, I'm very confident he's going to win. But anyway, my point was, right. I, I was trying to say, I've, I've just been unhealthily locked in, but I'm not surprised about anything that's happened. If you really think about it, I thought, and I put up a map on my Facebook. I, I think you saw it on Tuesday morning. If it turns out that Trump wins uh, Georgia, which he might not, 
I mean, I, that's pretty close right now. Yeah, I, I have. I had this race going almost exactly the way it is, and, and it's not like, you know, I, again, I don't think there's any upsets. I'm not. I live in Florida. I told. I I don't know if I told you on this podcast. I know I've told you off the air many times because we talk constantly on Facebook all the time. I told you Donald Trump was winning Florida. Right. I, I didn't know he was going to win that easy, but I'm not surprised he won Florida. I'm not surprised he won North Carolina. I'm not surprised he won Ohio. Uh, Arizona is the only real like surprise that in the making anyway. I'm not surprised that Biden retook Michigan and that he retook Wisconsin. I, I kind of feel like that those are not kind of, they are blue, blue wall states that Hillary kind of blew. She didn't right. spend a lot of time and resources. She took them for granted. Joe Biden didn't. That was his strategy to win this race. But anyway, so the results really aren't surprising. What's surprising is how many people must not have been paying attention because anyone who's paid attention in this election, we knew for weeks there was this unprecedented early voting, mail-in ballots, people early voting could go to put their votes in, in ballot boxes. And that's, again, largely because of COVID. Donald Trump, during his rallies, sat there and told everybody, don't mail your votes in. Vote on election day. And that's what his supporters do. You know, they listen to him. So for right. Trump to be up early, and here's the thing too, and this is what I think most people don't understand. These votes in Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan and Wisconsin, where it looked on election night that Trump was up big in these states and they've flipped now. Well, the reason being is because these states didn't even start counting the mail-in ballots and the early votes until after the polls closed. Now, that's a state thing. It's stupid. Me and you have talked off air about this, how there should be like one policy for all states. Separate discussion. But anyway, these states, their, their rules are that they're not going to count these until after. So that's why Biden has this sea of blue coming right now, and he's caught him and passed them. If you paid attention, you would have known that. I'm not saying you, just people generally speaking, but a lot of them haven't. And now you get your president up, and again, I try really hard to not make it personal, but that was a disgrace what we saw. That I don't know if you want to call it a press conference. And now I know you're kind of indifferent and oblivious to it. doesn't really bother you one way or the other, but it, it does. I don't want it to bother me, but it does that the president's getting up there and accusing, you know, basically the country of cheating him, stealing the election from him. Uh, he's blaming states and workers and you name it, man. It's kind of like with COVID going back. He he came out, he touts everything impressive, and then he blames everyone else for everything that's bad. Doesn't take any accountability for anything. And he's showing to me that, and again, I know I'm going off here, but he's showing to me that he, he doesn't care about the Republican Party. It's about him and his power. He's never cared about governing, dude. He cares about oh, winning. No. He cares about winning, and he cares about having power. He doesn't care about the Republican Party. He doesn't care about half the people that he supports. He certainly doesn't care about the people who don't support him in this country, you know? So nothing about anything I'm seeing is, uh, is surprising. We knew that if he was, if he won, he was going to talk shit. And if he lost, which it looks like he's going to do, he was going to call it fraud and rigged and all this. So I don't know why anyone out there is surprised. He, that's what I'm saying. It's not so much that it doesn't bother me that this is happening uh, you know, with elected officials in our government, the way that he's responding to certain things and has for these four years, a lot of what has happened has bothered me. It's that I'm not surprised by it, right? Like uh, it's that old Maya Angelou quote of uh, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Uh, 
and he's never been different, right? We, I, I totally expected this, that if he loses, he's going to be a little baby about it and drag his feet and, and claim all these things. The, the difficult thing about this is while I don't believe there's any evidence of fraud, I don't believe, I think fraud is used by both sides and convenience at times in elections. Sure. There's never really been uh widespread voter fraud that's ever been historically proven to be voter fraud. Um, I think it gets used, but the people are going to, the problem is right now is you have people that are prone to believing theories, uh, conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But then you also do have uh, officials in government making decisions that look like they're lacking transparency, which only whether or not there's actual evidence of it, which I don't believe there's evidence of it, it plays into these cra- the c- crazy conspiracies where they can say, hey, see, they boarded up the windows. Hey, see, they've done this. And whether or not there's a- any evidence of it, it doesn't matter as long as these people have something to show, hey, there was lacking transparency. And so they were out to get my guy. The- you can't trust the government. So this to me, and we talked offline, being this close in this many states and going on this many days to me is the worst case scenario of a cherry on top of an already very stressful 2020 for everybody, no matter where you are in life. And now you have this stress of days of this going on and people just glued to their TVs trying to figure this out. But But it's not, but it's not surprising though, Aaron, is it? I mean, you knew, I mean, you're, you pay enough attention. You knew that the majority of Biden supporters were mailing in their ballots and doing early voting and that'll in in so many states the the voting county wait it's like people are just they're acting like this is breaking news that they didn't know and if you didn't know that means you didn't pay attention because again it it was out there it's transparent you know what i'm saying i do and i agree with you it is another topic but i think this is a good precedent for while i dislike I'll, i'll put it out there i dislike sweeping federal law uh, of anything. But I think when it comes to voting and especially in general elections, I do think there needs to be more uniform how it happens so that when it is election night, everybody's aware that, hey, how I voted here is exactly how it happens in Pennsylvania, is exactly how it happens in Michigan, Nevada, wherever. Um, And then you don't have these kind of opportunities for false claims of fraud or anything like that. You just kind of shore it all up and everybody votes the same and the count and the process of it is all the same and there's no delays or anything like that. Uh, and sort of take that one part of things out of state's hands. And I think you would have less uh, for uh, you know a candidate like this to come out and just yell fraud. You would have, well, again, I don't think there is any evidence, but you would have less of that kind of questioning from the other side that is losing if everything was just legit across the board the same exact yeah i mean look that i 100 percent agree with you and it's a great point and i don't know i i got the thing that i just i i can't get off of is nothing about this week with the exception of again we're taping this thursday night i did expect it to be over by thursday night for sure maybe this morning even so that part is surprising but the process and the results, frankly, um, haven't. And by the way, you know, and again, the press conference tonight, if you want to even call it, that wasn't a press conference because he didn't take any questions. His statement, again, besides just being selfish and putting himself over the country and especially his own party, that said, 
you know, there's a lot that that was standing for, for Donald Trump that he did good with. I mean, look, he's yes. again, he's probably going to lose this election, but that said, yo, he, he got more votes this year than he did in 2016 when he won. Um, there's, there's been more voting this year than in any history, any of the, ever. This is the most votes ever in the history of our elections. And a lot of that is because people love Donald Trump. And frankly, a lot of that's because people hate Donald Trump and they wanted to vote him out. I think there's a lot of Joe Biden people who aren't Joe Biden fans is that they're anti-Donald Trump and they want him Absolutely. gone. In fact, hey, raise your right hand if your name's Pat Moran. Yeah, well, that's I did. me, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I've said that before, so it's not like I'm breaking news here. Um, I, again, uh, he did a lot of good stuff. And when you look at some of the primary data, I don't know if you've had a chance to really spend time watching and learning some of this stuff, but like Donald Trump did really good with black people. He made good inroads. Like his voting percentages for blacks and Latinos is much higher than it was in 2016. So despite a lot of the social unrest that's going on in this world, despite the perception that Donald Trump, if he's not a racist, he at least acts like it sometimes. And maybe, and I, again, him being a TV character, I think some of it was an act. I, I think he knew he plays into a, it. Sure. Yeah, he plays into it. He knows what his fans want to hear. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not going to go as far to call him whatever personal names. But again, you know, that said, he, he made good inroads. He lost his election in all likeliness because he lost a lot of the suburban vote. And he from, lost a lot of, uh, I think, white men was his biggest yeah, decrease. Yep. His biggest, de- well, he had two big, yeah, educated white males was his biggest, second biggest decrease. And his biggest decrease was white suburban women. Like 20%, yep. he lost He lost 20 points in votes this year with suburban white women. Um, but again, he, he did a lot of good. You know, this whole election process, I, I learned a lot because honestly, I think most people expected this to be a blowout with COVID this year, with how many people hate this guy. I thought it was going to be a double digit, you know, popular vote. He probably wins by close to double digits. The polls, which by the way, were way off had him down eight to 10 points. And it's not even going to be half of that. Democrats excel at, uh, they excel at Facebook and man, they excel at being on Twitter, making memes, talking a lot of shit, being loud, calling for change. You know what Donald Trump GOP supporters excel at voting. <laughs> you know, they will go uh, through fire to vote, man. You got to give it up for that. I, I do as much as I can't stand the guy personally. His fans are loyal as shit. And I saw that firsthand in Florida this past weekend with the Trump rally, which I didn't even know I was at one until I was in the middle of it. It was not a, you know, it wasn't like in a parking lot. It was like a, a road rally, but holy shit, man. They're just, they're nuts for this guy. But after this election and losing it and the way he's handling it, I would strongly suspect that a lot of people, especially if they're actually real Republicans, they're going to bounce. Yeah. Uh, point though uh, about Democrats versus Republicans. Uh, somebody had tweeted out a while ago about how, and it wasn't anything bad against John Stewart or anything like that, but that he created this whole generation of Democrats that just want to sit there and point at videos of Republicans being hypocritical. You know, years later, of like, hey, he said this five years ago, and now he's saying this. What an asshole! Yeah. And that doesn't actually accomplish anything, right? Like it's fun in that moment. You can share it on your social media or share it with your friends. Everybody can have a laugh. But meanwhile, the Republicans are doing all the things that you as a Democrat hate, right? Like they're, they don't care if you're laughing at them because they're still getting shit done. Uh, And I think that is kind of played out a little bit in this election that honestly, 
like all stuff, all politics and partisanship aside, like it really, this should have been a blowout. Uh, right? And I think it's an indictment of the DNC. I think it's an indictment of Democrats. And when you look down ticket, uh, the Republicans and Trump succeeded. And I think that's more telling than the presidential election is the House seats and the Senate seats. Those things, Trump had a lot of victories and flipped a lot of states there. Um, and that is a sign that while there there's more Democrats out there, more people registered than ever. And that was a major push on the Democratic side. All those campaigns you saw were, were driven by Democratic voting groups and things like that to get people to register. And they still lost a lot of these seats. And you had uh, marijuana on the ballot in five states, right? It won all five states it was on the ballot on. that. Those types of issues get people out to the polls and Democrats still struggled. So while Trump is likely at this point looking to lose this election, Republicans actually won. And I think it's an indictment of the DNC. I think it's an indictment of the candidate that they put up on the top of the ticket. Uh, and so they will probably get the presidency, but I don't think they won over the next four years, I think that they actually, this election week or whatever is a loss for them, even though they get Trump out of office, I think ultimately they lose. Yeah, I agree. And also I think in a way it was kind of a perfect storm for Trump because in 2016, I think he got the opportunity to face maybe two of the worst democratic candidates ever, Ever. certainly with Hillary, the old tired, typical Washington lifer that played so well into him. And he was right. Now, in Biden's case, again, look, I don't dislike Joe Biden, all right? So I got nothing against him, but I honestly think that Donald Trump lost the election more than Joe Biden won it, if that makes sense. I think more people who voted for Biden voted for Joe Biden because they hate Donald Trump. They voted for Joe Biden. I mean, Biden Biden stayed away for like, there was like two months, three months where we didn't really even hear from Joe Biden, right? Like he he just kind of stayed away and let Trump trip over himself. Dude, he might not even, I'll tell you what. Joe Biden, if you remember, he wasn't even winning the Democratic primaries. The Democratic Party pretty much said, especially when COVID started, this is going to be our guy because they felt that he was going to be the least likely to do something stupid. And he had the best chance to beat Trump. He had a better chance to beat Trump, they figured, than Bernie Sanders and and Kamala Harris. And I'm all telling other- you, man, you look at these down tickets. I don't know that they were right. right. I- yeah, I mean, it should it should have been a blowout. But again, I, I also know that we underestimated the fan base of Donald Trump. I know that again, being down here in Florida and seeing it with my own eyes. And I don't know if you're a Republican, I don't know how you should feel right now because your guy's lost. He's going to lose. And yeah, we got this on it. Yeah. Right. But, and also Donald Trump, again, he made inroads. I think, you know, when I was growing up and when I was younger, the Republican party was like for rich white people, old people, that's pretty much what the uh, or upper class and rich. That's what Republicans were. You know what I mean? White. The Reagan years. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Now I feel like the Republican Party more than ever is more diverse. Again, he made a lot of inroads with uh, with black people and Latino people. And maybe now in 2024, if a Republican who's not an asshole of a human being comes along and he can get back some of those suburban people and those middle aged white women, the Republican they, that party can find themselves being back on top and, and being dominant. And again, by the way, Aaron and I are no political analysts or experts here. We're kind of just shooting from the hip because, you know, this isn't. Yeah, and I'm not even I, I have no party affiliation. Uh, I do not uh, Me particularly go to either side here. I've I've 
participated in Republican conventions in my youth. I've participated in Democratic yeah. voting stuff. So I, I'll go wherever, you know, my heart takes me. So there's no partisan feeling here. Um, I want to get your opinion kind of here. Do you, and we've heard rumblings of it. Do you think it's a Trump 2024 run in um, the Republican it, party? Does he try to pull a Grover Cleveland here and come back? It would, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. And by the way, so it's clear too. I am a literally, uh, I am a registered independent and I'm a, I say a right leaner. I lean Republican, but I voted for Joe Biden. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I put a lot of stock into personality and character as opposed to just policies and politics. As for 2024, yes, if he's healthy, I mean, he'll be 78 years old four years from now. It's a grind. I don't, Donald Trump said himself on Tuesday morning, but as the election was starting, that he's he's a winner and he doesn't lose well. He said that. Nothing yeah. about what's going on right now. It's an, it, it's sad. It's pathetic. But it's not surprising the fact no. that he's blaming, you know, the system and that it's rigged and that the, the election's been stolen from him. He's probably, and again, he's, dude, Donald Trump needs praise and power like you and I need oxygen. You know what I mean? He needs it. And what bigger high is there to be president of the United States and have millions of people worship you? Because again, he is for, give him credit. He says something, Fox News sells it and people buy it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, his rallies were, it's crazy. his rallies were lit, man. It's crazy. I do think he's going to lose support right now. I think real Republicans are going to jump ship. We're starting to see some of that on TV. Rick Santorum, Chris Christie, they're already... You know, they're Republicans before they're Trumpsters. Do you know what I'm saying? The, the real right. Republicans. They got in line. Republicans right. always get in line. They only got in line because he won. Right. But I could absolutely, to answer your question directly, yes, I can see him. If, if maybe not him, I could I could see Ivanka running. I mean, you never know. John Jr. Some, somebody connected for sure. I don't think you've heard the last of Donald Trump. Let's just put it that way. No. Which, by the way, yeah. before we start talking Buffalo. Let me ask you this one question. So let's just assume again, and this is speculation, but it sure looks like he's going to lose and he's obviously going to be suing. Let's just say, cause it's early November. Let's just say by late November, he realizes that, you know what? Um, he could sue all he wants. He's not, nothing's going to get overturned. If he loses like Michigan and Wisconsin, he needs those States turned back. It ain't going to happen. Whatever that may be, whatever combination that all falls short. He's still while a lame duck. He's still president till January 20th. Yeah. Um, I don't need to ask you if he's going to peacefully transfer power. Is he going to do what other presidents have done? Is he going to be there at Biden's inauguration day? The answer is going to be no. We already know that. But are you a little concerned about what he might do as acting president from, say, the end of November to January 20th when he's no longer in power? Like, are you a little bit concerned? Like, what do you think this dude might do? I don't see him doing a lot of actual governing. He ain't done nothing with COVID for five months now. I don't see that starting. You little concerned? Is he going to start pardoning some of his buddies before he leaves? You know what I'm saying? Are you a little bit concerned about what this dude might do? There, but you might see some pardons as far as um, work getting done. I don't think you'll see much of that. I don't think we'll see any crazy new legislation. I would love for him to come out and expunge the records of all nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, I know uh, that as much as people don't like the the Trumps, I know Ivanka and. Kushner have been in his ear about some of those drug reforms. I think I, 
uh, Kyle Kulinski, Kulinski or whatever, uh, who was on with Joe Rogan had, had put out something where with all these states that were voting for marijuana that Trump should have gotten ahead of that and legalized marijuana at a federal level and declassified or descheduled it. And you would have had a lot less Democrats out voting for those laws. So there potentially is some positive that, hey, they might be able to convince him before he goes to do some of these things that Joe Biden's definitely not going to do. He, he is one the first Democrat to not support marijuana legalization that I can remember. Uh, so there might be some opportunities for that. But yeah, I think you'll see pardons. I think you'll see uh, the typical behavior we've seen from him. I think he's going to drag out these ideas of fraud as long as he can. I think he'll speak to his base. I think we might see some of the issues that we saw here this past summer with civil unrest coming from his base throughout until the transfer of power happens. And maybe he leaves peacefully, but I think some of his base probably will not um, be particularly peaceful about it in the way that they protest it. Uh, so I think we'll see some of that. I think we'll continue to see some some different types of unrest, but I don't think anything dramatic happens. I think once it's official that he loses, that Republican Senate isn't going to just do the things he wants anymore. Uh, they know that they have the power without him, right? They're going to still have power for two years, whether or not he's in the Oval Office or not. So they don't need to do the, his bidding anymore. So I think they start to break away from that power uh, source of the White House and kind of take on their own power, uh, which is scary also. But the things that matter the most aren't going to get done. I don't think we're going to see a, any type of like relief here with COVID. And it's going to be a, a long winter with that still. And, and we haven't been able to see any relief come out of the Senate uh, for that. And so I don't think that gets done. I don't think he encourages that to get done. I think he just tries to drag things out and leave Joe as much of a mess as possible. Well, I hope I'm, I hope he doesn't, but I wouldn't put it past him to do things that, and again, I'm, I'm not smart enough to know you know, specifics, but hopefully he doesn't do anything that's going to potentially sabotage what Joe Biden is walking into in late January. And maybe one good thing is that if he does make that decision that he is going to run in 2024, he might want to finish with something good for people to remember. I'm, sure. I don't know. But, you know, one last thing, too, is I thought that I was going to feel excitement and maybe I would have had he won convincingly on election night. Maybe if this wasn't COVID and maybe all votes were counted that night and it was over, I would have might have felt better. I feel relief, but I don't feel excitement. Like in 2008, when Obama won, I wasn't a big Obama person. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I felt inspired and it was a very positive moment in my life. I, I remember the election night very well when he won. It, it was fun. And I felt confident going into the future. And some things turn out great, some things not so great. But anyway, my point was in that moment, I felt great. I don't feel that way right now at all. And the reason why is because, I mean, to be honest, I'm not that confident that Biden's going to be able to get a lot of shit done over these next four years. And another thing too is more than policy, I'm, I'm not confident that he's going to be able to, the culture's not going to change in the next four years. You know, these last four years, regardless of what side of the fence you're on, it's been bitter and it's been resentful. It's been probably more than any time I can remember, at least in my lifetime anyway, and again, I'm not no expert, but it feels like, and this sounds corny, but I truly believe this. Like we're not even like the United States of America anymore. Like you're either a blue American or you're a red American. That's the way the last four years anyway have felt to me. You know, it's like we're two different types of Americans living in one country. Do you know? And I, and I, I think, 
the next four years, it's there's so much left of that right now that I don't think Joe Biden, even though he's a better person for the job, because I do believe, you know, I, he's full of shit in a lot of ways, man. These guys are all full of shit to some extent, but he will reach across the aisle for certain things. He will be at least attempt to be a president for everybody and not just people that support him. I do take him at his word for that stuff. I honestly do. But there's just so much bitterness and resentment, just like people who hate Trump. There's a lot of people who love Trump and they're going to spend the next four years making life hell and they're going to hate Joe Biden. I think we're at least another four years at a minimum away from, you know, we need 2024. We need to look ahead to that and maybe the, 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 the hatred will, will shift away and we can get more back to being kind of like one country, like this country, like in 2024, and it ain't going to be Joe Biden. We need that Ronald Reagan. We need that JFK. We need a leader that is not so much, you know, it used to be Democrat or Republican. It was just what you believed healthcare should be or foreign policy. Now it just stands for so much more and it's so different. It's blue and red and I hate it. We need to have somebody who's really just going to kind of unite the country a little bit. And I just don't see that being Joe Biden. I don't know if you yeah. disagree with that. I think, I think a little bit, in my opinion, that is a little bit of recency bias, to be honest. I think uh, it, it had an ultimate climax in this last administration with just the type of personality I think you had and that type of bombastic leader um, and how he talked. But I mean, outside of 9-11, where the country all came together, Bush's uh, presidency was very uh, blue versus red, right? The the, the war protests, uh, people, you know, were very, uh, not calling for violence, but, you know, pictures of him as Hitler, uh, you know, him hanging, you know, like uh, different protests where they had like paper machés of him hanging. So it was very contested then uh obama i think uh struggled with a lot both politically and from the voters uh when it came to how divisive the republican party was towards him right sure. we saw filibusters we saw people just really trying to be as uh obstructionist as possible so i, th- I think it's just the new american political system i don't think it's going to go away um, but as far as optimism goes, I've never had any on an election night. I wasn't a huge Obama fan. I, he was fine. Uh, I, I don't have any problems with him, but I, I didn't buy into hope and change. Um, Biden, I feel nothing for. I think he sucks, to be honest. I voted for him, but I think he sucks. Um, I, I do agree he Same. can reach across the aisle, but it's on stuff I don't love. I, I just think he's the the reason uh, Donald Trump got elected, those career politicians. And uh I'm ashamed that the Democratic Party couldn't put out or find somebody that had new, refreshing ideas. But I understand why people want to get back to what they know, right? Like we know him under Obama and and people felt pretty secure under that. So I I get it. Uh, But yeah, I don't know that anyone, I don't know anyone that voted for Joe or supported Joe that were doing it because they really love Joe Biden. Do you have any friends? Do you have any friends um, or family that during this process, you kind of, I don't want to say maybe you completely lost your relationship with them, but you certainly lost at a minimum, a lot of respect for them because I don't know about you, but I definitely have. And this is what I'm talking about now. You and I, let's just pretend. I think you and I are on the same page here. We both voted for Joe Biden. Neither of us even like Joe Biden, but let's just pretend that I'm a big Trump guy and that you were a big Biden guy. I know me and you, we could argue 
or debate, whatever you want to call it, about who, what we think is right. But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to shotgun a beer together and have a laugh afterwards. You know what right. I'm saying? But this got yeah. so contentious, so ugly in 2020, this cycle, this election, that I don't know about you, but I did. I I have strained relationships with people that I've been friends all the way going back to high school with because it got so ugly and so personal. And I've never seen anything like that before, at least not in my lifetime, at least not. And maybe if I never paid that much attention, maybe as I've gotten older, I've started to pay more attention to it. But I've literally have lost, if not lost, at least strained um, significant friendships over this shit, man. Have you, has that sure. happened to you at all? Uh, so my very best friend who I talked to quite a bit, uh, is very pro Trump and we've had arguments about it and he says some obnoxious things and I love him no matter what. Right. Like, and I tell him that, like, I think you're a fucking idiot. Um, I don't <laughs> agree with the things you're saying right now, but I love you. You're still I know he's a good person. He's just whatever's going on. It's got him very worked up and he's talking about this stuff. Right. And so we try not to talk about it, but it always comes back there, especially with how 2020 has gone. Uh, but then on the other hand, one of the times I talked to my dad during this, I told him, Hey, you're a fucking idiot. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> I hung up the phone with him. And then we called back and say, Hey, look, I'm sorry. We, let's just not talk about this stuff anymore because you're my father and I love you and I'm not going to stop loving you, but I can't have these conversations with you every time because the stuff you're saying is just so hateful and ridiculous. Like I can't, can't do that, man. So like you're more welcome to have those shitty opinions, but don't throw it in my face. And right. Like, yeah. like we can't do that anymore. And so <laughs> it's definitely strained some relationships. Sure. sure. And you know what, dude, maybe even if they're on your side, man, like our boy, man, Joe from New York city, Buffalo wins. He's, he's a Biden guy. He's semi, oh, a lot of my, he's, yeah. he's semi insufferable right now. And your boy's winning. Just imagine yeah. if Donald Trump pulls off some Hail Mary, some comeback and ends up winning this. Can you imagine yeah. what he's going to be like? It's definitely not just one side either. I do think I've a lot of my you, friends. Joe. I love I've you, seen Joe. Them. Sorry. Go yeah, on. yeah, for sure. And I've a lot of my friends on the other side, their memes and stuff are tired. It's like, okay, we get it. You are fucking super triggered by everything this guy does. We get it. Like, just go out and vote. You know, keep it to that. Uh, let's have intellectual conversations. I'm I'm always down to have a conversation, but the like the childish stuff back and forth of uh, using you know, hurtful language and trying to, you know, the, just devaluing con what should be real conversations does take place on both sides. Uh, and I don't think there's a spot for it. There's not a spot for me, for me anymore. It used to stress me out. It used to bother me. I just, again, I muted all those words for that reason. It's not that I don't want to pay attention to politics and what's going on. It's that I don't want to get into these arguments where people are just telling each other to fuck themselves and suck each other's what's and right. you know what I mean? Like, there's no value there for me. And I do see it on both sides. So I, that's the thing I hope the most we get away from. And it's let's have some disagreements about policy and let's have disagreements about how we think things should be, but let's stop with like the personal attacks on everybody over every opinion they have. I hear you, man. I, I totally agree. You know, it's funny. Last point here, going back to 2016. So when Trump wins, I'm like, well, you know, this sucks, but it's good in a way for Democrats. And again, I'm not even a Democrat. I'm an independent. Cause I'm like four years from now, someone's going to emerge the next, whether you love them or not, the next Obama, you know, the next great thing to emerge is going to come and, and kick Trump's ass and, and ended up being 87, 88 year old Joe Biden, but he won. 
or it looks like i was it, hoping it was yang it, gang man i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i saw yang gang and i was like man this is a guy and some new ideas let's go but no i really thought bad. i thought going into the primary season i really thought kamala harris was going to be the one one now she ends up being which by the way we've been talking about this for a good 40 minutes um lost in all this because of all the controversy going on and sure it'll be a you know it'll be something significant at some point as hopefully the controversy eventually settles down as props to her man the first ever not just women first ever black woman to be vice president that that's a very historical moment in, a, in our country it's just obviously Absolutely. being completely overshadowed right now but down the road props man good for her it is good for her uh personal note part of the reason i didn't like that ticket though i'm not a big fan uh of hers and her history and her policy so i'm happy for the historical moment sure um but again still in love that the ticket i know i'm like sound very anti-trump but trust me uh my anti-ness goes both ways here uh throughout this yeah i I hear you man i'm not a big fan of her of her politics either she seems she seems like the type of person that Donald Trump rails against. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And when he does, I, I get it. But anyway, enough of that shit, man. It is what it is. It's an historical week. It's still not over. We're going to sound like the dumbest idiots ever if come tomorrow, Donald Trump miraculously flipped Arizona and uh, wins Georgia and Pennsylvania and ends up being Yeah, I've been wrong about nah. worse. <laughs> before. Anyway, well, let's see if you're wrong about this. Instead of being just an analyst, you're going to kind of be a teacher here. So we're going to go through the positions with the Buffalo Bills. We've reached the halfway point. They're six and two. I don't really need to ask you how you're feeling about being six and two. The answer is pretty damn good. I'm yeah, sure, you know, there's how they got there for the most part is semi irrelevant. And maybe we'll hit on that a little bit throughout. But the bottom line is they're six and two. And we're going to handle some great. Simple as that. Let's just go positionally. And, you know, you can offer like a take or two, and then I want to get your grade. Maybe I'll throw what I think it should be in there. And let's start with the ob- the big one. Quarterback, Josh Allen, he's the only one who's played this year. He's having a pretty good year, man. And if you would have told me before the season started that at the midway point, he'd be on pace for about roughly 42 yards and 32 touchdowns, I don't know that many people who wouldn't have signed up for that. So what are your thoughts so far on Allen at the midway point, and, and what grade would you give him? I'm very happy with Allen here in his progression. Uh, I think he took a lot of big steps forward this year. And I, I knew he wasn't going to be able to play at the pace that he played in those first four games. While it was exciting to talk about and a lot of fun, that feels like a lifetime ago uh, at this point here <laughs> yeah. midway through the season. But even his regression is better than he was. His regression is still a progression in his own development. So uh, I know last week a lot of people were down on his game, but really with throwing 18 attempts, it's hard to have a really fantastic game. I think he did just you know enough, and he wasn't always helped out at uh, every moment. That Gabriel Davis dropped touchdown pass, so he could have even had more uh, padded a little bit there. But overall, I think I would give him a B. I'm happy with the progress. There's still a lot of progress to make, but I do think – the reason he was drafted and the the why he was drafted where he was has shown itself in the tape, right? Like we've seen that he can be a high end quarterback in this league. Now he's got to kind of figure out some of these other defenses, right? We saw what two and a half years of teams playing him man defense, blitzing defense, cover zero, all these things to just attack him, make him think fast. 
uh, and that worked. He figured that out early in the year. Now you're seeing teams respect him dropping seven guys into coverage, which is stuff that they do to the top elite court. This is what's the stuff I think the bills are going to do to Russell Wilson, which we saw him do to Patrick Mahomes is, Hey, let's take away the passing game and make the, the team beat us with the run because we're scared of this unit passing. So now he's got to figure out how to beat those. I think he can. I think that he's showing some good signs of it. They had to go away from it here a little bit this last weekend, but I think we'll see some of that with Seattle. I think they're going to try to drop guys into coverage and see if Josh Allen can beat them in the passing game, and I think he will. Uh, so that to me is you now have a quarterback good enough to dictate to the other team how they are going to defend you uh, versus the other team coming in and dictating how the game's going to be played. I think that Josh Allen is starting to sort of dictate schemes for other defenses. So I think that's good. I'd give him a B. There's still a lot of room to grow. I don't want to get overly excited, but a B is good. That means this guy's my franchise quarterback. That to me means that he's going to see a second deal here in Buffalo and he's could very well be the quarterback, you know, that we haven't had on the second deal where he gets a whole decade or so uh, with an opportunity to build a real winner here. I will. I agree with everything you said. I might go a tiny bit higher. Actually, I would be willing to go as high as a, a B plus. The only thing I would add to that is, and it's got nothing to do with stats or anything that he's done. It's that for the first time in quite, I don't even know how long it's been when it comes to this football team. If they're down in the fourth quarter or if they need to score going into the half, or if it's just a big drive, I feel like they're going to score. Now I'm not yeah. saying they always do. You know, like that Jets game, they can fucking get in the red zone a million times and score a touchdown. But I feel like if they need to, I have confidence in him as quarterback to get it done. Even if he's kind of having a, he hasn't had a horrible day. So I don't even want to say that. If he's been meh, I, I feel like he's going to find a way to get him in the end zone. So I'm going to go just a little bit higher B plus just because I have confidence in him and I haven't had any in a quarterback in quite a while. Now, what about running backs? Um, You know, it's, Started out slow. They showed promise, especially last week. Zach Moss has been mostly a non-factor. I've been saying it's going to be a Zach Moss game for a few weeks now. Semi was finally last week. Yeah, you finally had. Yeah, I'll know. give you the win on that. Well, I, only if I take the L the week before that. You know, if you keep <laughs> saying the same thing week after week, eventually, you know, you're going to be right. But yeah, they got the running game going against New England. A little bit against the Jets the week before that. But Singletary's averaging about a little over four yards of carry. So we're at the halfway point. He's on pace for a little under 800 yards. Zach Moss, again, only 186 yards rushing, but he's been hurt this year. He's averaging 4.3 yards per carry. Uh, what grade would you give them right now? It's tough because I think they're trending in the right direction. Um, it's tough to evaluate because New England was inviting the run in the same way the Bills invited Kansas City to run. Right. So I don't know that. Yep. What we saw was a true evaluation of these guys. But I do think even before that, they're starting to trend in the right direction. But I got to go with a D. And I think they've been disappointing so far. I'm uh, a little disappointed in Devin Singletary's uh, performance here year two. I expected more. Granted, the line itself has also had some struggles. So it's not entirely on the running backs. But it just there has been no really wow games or plays for me these guys here until this past weekend and again it was invited to run so some of that's kind of baked into that so i think it's a d i'm disappointed in the group but i do think 
they're trending in the right direction when it matters the most, which is November, December, hopefully January football, where you are going to have to have some of these games where either weather is a factor or the game slows down. You got to grind out some yards or grind out a win. Hopefully they're trending in the right direction. But as of midway point, I don't think they've done enough to earn more than a D in my opinion. You kind of got me being a little bit of a homer here. I'm going to go a little bit higher, but only a little bit. I'm going to go C minus. And All right. I agree to some extent. I mean, look, if, if I told you again, like we just, I told you a minute ago, if I would have gave you Josh Allen's numbers before the season started, you would sign up for him. If I told you before the season started that Singletary would average 4.1 yards, that Zach Moss would average 4.3, that Yeldon, although he only had 10 carries, he'd be averaging seven yards and that Josh Allen would have 227 yards with his legs. You would have signed up for that, I'm sure. But those, right. that average is a facade. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't feel like they, the running game. Yards per carry is yeah, a tough. It yeah. is. Like, that's a facade. That's kind of a phony stat. The running game just hasn't been that effective. Uh, yeah. And it, hasn't, and it hasn't been something that's, and part of it's the offense, right? Like, they've come out and they throw in first down right. and they're coming out of games. And, and so it's not all on the running backs, but the running game, I can't, outside of this, the New England game, I can't think of like an influential series or anything where the running game just really, was what sprung the Bills offense to get going where the uh, a year ago, that's Devin Singletary. When Devin Singletary got the ball, that was the only time the offense was felt like it was going. So I guess maybe my expectations are a little bit uh, blinded from the performance he had where he was really the catalyst of the offense a year ago. Uh, so there might be some of that baked into it. Sure. Uh, let's move on to the wide receivers. Obviously the big ones to find digs, by the way, we're, again, we're at the halfway point and that's what we're going off of here. Not saying he's going to keep up with it, but at this pace right now, he's on pace to set the Bills' all-time single-season record for receptions and yards. He's on pace for 108 catches and 1,390 yards, which would both be single-season Bills' record. So he's obviously been even better than what we could have hoped for realistically in that trade. Cole Beasley just continues to be such an important, underrated receiver. Gabriel Davis has been pretty good as a rookie. John Brown has had some significant injury uh, issues with that calf. I don't want to say significant, but it's definitely lingered and it slowed him down big time. And I think it's kind of slowed the offense down as a whole over the last few weeks. But anyway, you take a look at that group. He had in Isaiah McKenzie a little bit, Andre Roberts. Well, I shouldn't say Andre Roberts because the one time he touched the ball led to a touchdown for Tennessee. But anyway, uh, what, what's your grade on that unit? Uh, I love this unit. Uh, I'm going to go... I was kind of going back and forth between a minus and a, cause I want to give them room to continue to grow. Cause I think there's growth there to have. Uh, I think this is the best wide receiver unit. I can really remember back to maybe the, that Eric Moult peerless price days was very top heavy. Yeah. I think that this unit has more depth. I know people will probably bring up, you know, the Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, uh, Marquise Goodwin, but I don't know how much that was potential versus how good those guys actually were. I mean, Robert Woods obviously developed into a really fantastic receiver, but he didn't always put up great numbers. He had bad quarterback play. I don't know if that was a really great receiving unit while they were in Buffalo versus the potential that they had. This is a really good receiving unit now. They they got proven players in Beasley and Brown who have performed well here in Buffalo. You also add Diggs, who, in my opinion, I was pounding the table before they added him. I think he should be up there in the con- conversation of those top three, four, maybe five guys in the league before he got here. And he's showing that I think in the receptions and yards. And when he is targeted, he's a, a reliable target that makes big plays. 
Uh, and then you get a rookie like Gabriel Davis, man. Uh, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't not buying into the preseason hype, but where we couldn't see anything and you just, you saw the media sometimes. I, and I love the media guys that Buffalo has, but sometimes there's a little bit of a, a hive mind that happens when all those, somebody sees something and then everybody kind of starts repeating that narrative. And I thought maybe they're just falling in love with this guy, but then he's done it in spots where they needed to. He's, he's not going to win rookie of the year or anything like that, but I think he's a nice depth addition here to this team. Cause they're going to start losing some of these guys as the years go on here. So I, I think building up that depth is nice. It's probably the most well-rounded full unit on the team this year. Uh, and that's pretty crazy from where they were, what, just a couple of years ago with Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones and Deontay Thompson, like, this unit has had an entire overhaul in under just a year and a half. Yeah. What grade did you arrive at though? So an A. I'm giving them an A. Me too. Yeah, you have to. And that's even, by the way, and that's again with, you know, they so they have a big three and that's with John Brown. I don't even want to say disappointing because again, he's been hurt. It's early health, in the se- right. early, Yeah, it's all health related. And early in the season, the three of them look fantastic. Josh is distributing the ball well. Gabriel Davis gave him something. He still is. Isaiah McKenzie brings a little something to the offense. Right. It's easily the best position on the team. I agree with you hundred percent. That's I have him as an A too. What about the tight end position? I mean, look, they did have one game where they caught three touchdowns, three touchdown passes in a game, but Dawson Knox, he's only been able to play in four games this year. He's got six catches, you know, Tyler Croft, not done much. Lee Smith, one catch, four touchdown. Gilliam's got a touchdown. Eh, where are you going with this one? Honestly, though, uh, I give this, I give, I think I give him a C minus. I think you're not seeing the production that, uh, that fans would like. I know the fans were hoping for maybe a tight end at the trade deadline and are saying this is a top priority here in the draft process to get a real legitimate tight end. That just hasn't been a thing in this offense this year. So part of the lack of production is those first four weeks, they were barely running tight end sets, right? Like they were the leading the league in 10 personnel. So spreading out four wide receivers, letting those guys work. So we weren't seeing a lot of tight end production. One thing I have liked from the tight ends is blocking. I think uh, they've done a nice job. Tyler Croft is really coming along nice. He's now fully healthy, back in the fold. I think he's done some really nice things in the, the run game. I think he's done some nice things blocking. When they have gone to him, he's been a reliable target. I think he's doing exactly what they thought he would be when they signed him to that contract. It just took him a year to get healthy. He had a setback with the injury. Uh, so that's that's all happening. I think Dawson Knox frustrates a lot of fans, and you see the the drops that look like easy catches. But I don't think when you kind of compare him to other young guys that aren't named Kittle or Kelsey, uh, I think he actually is on par with a lot of young tight ends. It's a position that takes a while to develop. Uh, we give Josh that credit that, hey, Josh had limited snaps. Uh, he didn't have the type of reps that a lot of these other guys did. He needs time to develop. Dawson Knox is the same way. He had limited snaps as a tight end, and they didn't throw to him uh, in college at all. So he is way behind the ball in a developing tight end. And I think he's flashed enough nice things that there should still be excitement for him. And he changes the offense. When he comes back, he's a guy that either when he's not even targeted, when he's on the field, it changes the offense and what they can do. So while the production's not there, I think it's reasonable enough that they're, they've done their jobs in moments. And I feel confident with a C plus with a lot of room to grow. C plus or C, C minus. Sorry. All right. C minus. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go D plus. I, I just, I want more from the position and I know again, sure. he's been on COVID. I'm just, I'm, I'm at the point when Knox were, 
I think what he is is what he is. I know he's young. I know he has, certainly has the potential to get a lot more consistent, but I want a tight end who I can trust to catch the ball and not just catch the ball, by the way. He misses some pretty significant blocks, too, or gets some, you know, a couple of bad penalties. Right. I just like to see more consistency, and I'm not sure that we're ever going to see it. I'd like to see, I, I was kind of hoping that would low key be a position that they might have looked at before the trade deadline, but I totally understand why they didn't pull any triggers there. But anyway, moving on to the offensive line. Another unit that's kind of tough to share to, to really grade because of because of injuries. You know, Deion Dawks has been a rock at left tackle, but Cody Ford's hurt. Mitch Morris is hurt, and not just hurt, but worrisome with this, I think it's his fifth documented concussion. Darrell Williams, to me, has been maybe the best low-key pickup on this team this offseason. He's at last year's Feliciano, you know. Yeah, now Feliciano's back, and, uh, you know, Brian Winters has played guard. Bob Goddard's been out there. I, yeah. I don't know, man. So when you, when you take this unit collectively, what, what grade would you come up with? I'm going to go with the C plus. I think uh, it's a little top heavy. I think Dawkins has done a really fantastic job this year. Uh, I think Mitch Morse has done a really fantastic job when he's healthy this year. And it's hard for a line like that to perform. And Darrell Williams has, has done a really nice job. So you have three guys, but the there's weak links on each side of the center uh, so far here this year hopefully with Feliciano back when the whole line gets healthy we'll see that kind of go away but there has been weak links even when Cody Ford's been healthy he's been a weak link uh, that's tough to overcome and they've done it for stretches uh they they have played well against some good defenses they've given Josh Allen time to throw uh, so we've seen that the run game hasn't quite been going so there's plenty of room for improvement I think getting healthy will help with some of that improvement but we're also seeing some depth step up we saw a nice series by ryan bates in that last game as much as people don't like ike bacher he had a really good game there wasn't a lot of glaring bad like we saw with the jets game he did a nice job he could very well be a nice improvement over brian winners here going forward if cody ford's health is in question or if he's needed in a moment that's a good thing so i I think there's enough there for me to feel you know, when I first thought of this question, I thought, man, this, this is not a great line. Maybe I'm going to, this will be my first D of the day, but I think I, I feel pretty confident giving them a C plus. I, I fall in line with that as well. Real quick, but I'll deep diving into it. Are you as concerned as I am that Mitch Morse's career could be in some trouble right now? Or are you just under the mindset of, all right, man, it's a, it's a setback, but he's going to be fine. Cause he's important to this line. Cause being able to have police shadow at guard, and Morris at center. I mean, it's just so much better that line like that. Yeah. Yeah. Concussions are tough. It's hard to speculate. Uh, he has had a number of them. This one doesn't seem to be like that one in the preseason that he had his first year here, right? He was already back on the field. Right. He's been doing limited uh, work this week, right? So yeah, he's been in limited work this week. Somebody pulled up an article, I think from the Buffalo news, maybe where they talked about his concussions and him talking to a bunch of experts and not feeling like there was, uh, as much of a concern as maybe the public has in what he's gone through and that he isn't worried that he's done all the right things when he gets them and he does all the right things before and after that he can keep playing. So when I saw that clip from that article and then seeing him back out there, I thought, you know, if this isn't a bad concussion, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I, I understand where the concerns come from. Greg and I talked about it in our post game show. It isn't, unjustified to think that a guy his age and has had as many as he had. And the last one being so severe that it kept him out the entire summer that you would, you know, people could go there, but it looks like it's trending in the right direction for him to continue. All right. So I'm here with Aaron Quinn from cover one Buffalo podcast. We are grading the Buffalo bills at the mid season point real quick on offense. 
He went B for quarterbacks, D for running backs, A for receivers, C minus for tight end, C plus for the OL. Let's go to the D line now, man. So uh, defensive ends, obviously. Hughes has played very well of late. You got your boy Trent Murphy. Uh, yeah. You know, Ed Oliver, he's been kind of a, he's a polarizing figure, Ed Oliver, because the numbers aren't there, but he's not really a number guy. And he's also been asked to do some things at the position that he probably is not best suited for, at least shouldn't be anyway. But you got him, Quentin Jefferson, who's new, uh, Philip Harrison and, and Vernon Butler. And then, of course, Mario Addison, who came over Carolina. You got the rookie, A.J. Epinesa. And then our boy, man, Justin Zimmer, who, you know, I don't want to give something away for later because we got an award uh, when it comes to something. But anyway, Justin Zimmer rounded out that defensive line. So when you take that as a whole, they've done better against the run of late and rushing the passer, but they went through some stretches, man, where this defensive line was just invincible. So invisible, not invincible, big difference. Yeah. But anyway, uh, when, you know, when you take the totality of what they've done through eight games, what grade you come up with there? I gave them a C plus. I think there is considering they lost Starla Tulele, which I thought was a big loss with that one tech. They still don't have that. I think considering that, considering all the new pieces that were added to it, and that does take time to gel and to figure out the studs. I think a lot of us got excited because oh, that whole like Madden concept kind of rots your brains where you just add new pieces and it just works. It doesn't work like that in real life. So these guys are going to take a little time to figure each other out, communicate. And I think you're starting to see some of that. The pass rush was there really all season. They played some fits, was just playing great, getting the ball out fast. They were still getting pass rush on him. Uh, the run defense really had not been a problem necessarily of the uh, the defensive line, in my opinion. I, I think they did a good job against the Titans and Derrick Henry, who that's a, a tough run team to defend. Um, so I, I give him a C plus, C plus. I love the way Hughes is playing. Uh, I really like some of the flashes from the guys in the depth. Hopefully it continues to get better here this year. Cause I do think they're going to have to hit home on more of the, you, you're playing like a Russell Wilson. You got to hit this guy. Right. So hopefully they hit home more a little bit and improves from a C plus, but, uh, not the worst unit on the defense by any means. I'm going to go C, and I almost feel like I'm being a little generous with C there. Uh, I was very hard on Jerry Hughes, but he's been very good. Um, of late again, I think Ed Oliver is a little bit unfair, but that said, dude, I would like to see him start making a couple more impact plays or making any impact. I shouldn't say any, cause he's made a couple. I'd like to see him start making more impact plays. Although in fairness, again, it's, it's, it's way beyond the numbers with him, but anyway, I move on because we could spend a lot of time there. How about the linebackers? So now this unit is a mass unit. Obviously Tremaine Edmonds has been injured. He's been playing. He's not been healthy. And if you're being generous, you could say that he's not at the season that we hope for because of his health. Matt Milano could barely lift his arm. He's playing very limited snaps right now. AJ Klein, unless you're seeing something that I don't, has just been a complete disaster. And Tyrell Dodson, who was playing well, but now he's hurt. Um, you know, so ugh, I, there's not any other linebackers really worth mentioning. But again, that's a mash unit. And, uh, Coming into the season, at least with the starters, I thought was the biggest strength of this entire roster. Where, where do you have them right now through eight games? I'm going to give them a D. And the only reason that it's there is is health. It's health, right? Like when I think when Milano and Edmonds are healthy, I think it's a reasonable, uh, 
linebacking core in the NFL. I think Milano is really good. I think he's a pro bowl level player. I don't know that Edmonds is there even healthy yet, uh, but he's not bad. Um, he makes mistakes, but health has just been an issue. It's been an issue for both those guys. Uh, Klein isn't very good. I, I urge some fans though, that people think it can't get worse. It can always get worse. Sure. Uh, I just want you to know not a that, lot worse, right? but yes, it could, it yeah, could but, get worse. Sure. It can get worse for sure. Right. And, uh, but yeah, no, it hasn't. It, I think that's contributed to when they do have problems with the run defense. I think it's been linebacker. I think it's contributed to a lot of the frustration in some of these games, uh, that Miami game, uh, the middle of the field and coverage. There's just been, I think a lot of blown coverages from linebackers, blown run gap assignments. So I, I could probably grade them lower, but I'm going to give them a little bit of the benefit of doubt that it's health related. So that's why I stayed at D. I, I agree with you. I think D is the right grade there. I don't know how much better this year Edmonds and Milano are going to, I don't know if Milano's going to get through this year. I think it might get to a point where maybe they he, might both he, need surgery. Yeah. They both might need surgery. Edmonds might be able to, to be able to play his injuries enough that he could still be semi-effective. Whereas Milano, I, I, I just don't know, which sucks because Matt Milano might be, Matt Milano is one of the three best players on this football team. And I know that might sound stupid to some people, but when he's healthy and when he's right, he is the literal definition to me of what an impact player is. He's always around the ball where there's an interception, a key sack, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, a big tackle on third down. He's just an impact player. I love Matt Milano. He's not healthy. Yeah. And again, I kind of like Terrell Dodson at least a little bit. I thought he was serviceable until he got hurt. Yeah, it's a bad position. All right, let's go. Uh, let's go. I'll tell you what. Instead of doing corner and, and safety separately, let's just do secondary as a whole. So at safety, Micah Hyde missed the game with a concussion, but he looks like he'll be back this week. Jordan Poyer's been healthy. I think he's played reasonably well. I don't think he's it's been his best season, but he's made some plays. Um, Dean Marlowe, a backup safety, had that big fumble recovery last week against New England to seal the game, but he's he made some mistakes in that game. It was all right. Trey White's been, for the most part, Trey White hasn't had, you know, an interception and made big impact plays, but he's doing, for the most part, what he usually does, and that's limiting other wide receivers. It's kind of been an injury carousel after that, though. So you got Josh Norman, you got Levi Wallace, uh, Cam Lewis splashed a little bit, but then he got hurt. Dane Jackson had a good debut. Uh, Teron Johnson in, in the slot. I know he's another polarizing player on this team. Really good physical against the run, not so much in pass coverage. He's a liability. So you take that unit as a whole and, and what grade do you want to come up with them? Yeah, I think they're a C. Um, Trey's played well. He's not playing at the all pro level that we saw last year. Some of that's the unit around him. Some of that's just, it's hard to play at an all pro level if you're not getting the takeaways and stuff like that. Uh, I do think Jordan Porter is playing really well. I, I think he's not getting the playmaking plays that we're used to seeing the safeties get in this defense. But he, I think he's still doing all the right things and, and playing well. He might've had a bad game uh, this year and a l- less consistent game, but he stepped up big time with Mike hideout. So I, I think that uh, they're, they're both playing pretty well. I've liked actually a little bit what I've seen out of that rotating quarterback too. Obviously it's not where we want it to be, but I like the performance of Dane Jackson a lot. I, I, I want to see more of him. Sure. I like like Levi Wallace a lot more than other people do. I know early in the year there was, oh, he's getting picked on. Some of it's the def- defense, uh, the coverages that they play, keep the ball in front of you. So if your option is to go to Trey White or to go to Levi Wallace, you're 
could probably go over to Levi Wallace's side and, but he's done a good job of not letting tackles, you know, he, he's a pretty sound tackler. He doesn't let guys get behind him. He does his job for the most part. He's always in position. Uh, so I'm a fan of his. Taron had a tough start to the year in coverage uh, over the last couple of weeks. He's done a better job. I think he had his best game against the jets had a big third down stop. So he's trending back in the right direction where we saw, I think getting a little bit of confidence back. So I, I, there's a lot of pieces on the unit. I like it would be nice to get Josh Norman back healthy to see if he is the player that they thought that he could be. I, I don't know that he is, but hopefully at some point here he can get back healthy, but I think it's a C mostly for me, it's a lack of creating the plays that we really anticipated seeing from the defensive back unit, being both the safeties and the corners of coming down with some balls and getting the offense back to ball, which is just something we haven't seen this year. I'll roll with that. I agree. I'll give him a C real quick here. So special teams, Andre Roberts has been good except for that Tennessee game. Uh, He's been fantastic outside of the fumble. Okay. I'll give you that. Corey Bork has punting. Who gives a shit? Where was he at? 49.2 yards a punt. Okay, cool. Uh, the rookie Tyler Bass kicker. What is he? He's 13 of 18 for field goals. He's um, five of six from 40 to 49 and one of two from beyond 50. So anyway, quickly, because special teams are people too. What what grade would you come up with them? Uh, I didn't even think about that one ahead of time. Um, as a whole unit, sure. I would say I will give him a C plus. I think I, I think Andre Roberts is playing at a, a pro ball level returner, probably an all pro returner yeah. right now. Um, so I think that weighs heavily. And then everything else, I do think Bohorkas has had some really good moments. There's also been games that one game he didn't even punt in a game where he punted what once. So it's hard. He hasn't been relied on a lot this year, but he's done fine. But last was it last game he had a, a pretty bad shank that got caught up in the wind. So Still lacking consistency. He's been part of the reason why Bass missed a few kicks. Twice. Into, into, it, yeah, and some inconsistency with Bass. So I think those things where you have a, a high-end all-pro special teams player, I still think coverage unit has been pretty good this year with Sarah Neal, uh, Taiwan Jones, Manikevich. I think those guys have done a good job. So you have some high-end parts and then some inconsistent parts, and I think it averages out to what I say, C+. plus. Yeah, you said a C plus. Yeah, C+. Plus. Eh, yep. I'll go... Uh... That sounds right to me. The one that will say this, it doesn't affect the gray, but I talked earlier about how when Josh Allen's on the field and they need points, I'm confident in them. I close my, and maybe it's unfair. Maybe it's because he's a rookie or just because of how bad the few bad kicks that he's had. They've been really bad. When, when Tyler Bass is out there. Yeah. I kind of cringe a little bit, like the muscles in my neck tightening up. Oh, I don't trust them. Yeah. In my back. Yeah. That's the word I should have said. It could have made a lot easier. Yeah. I don't trust him whatsoever right now. But he's not, he's not kicked bad. He did have six field goals in one game, which was kind of big. So anyway, so those are our grades. I'm going to plow through at least most of these awards. We got a couple of awards here to give because yeah. some of them don't really need discussion. Team MVP, sure. we're going to go Josh Allen, right? I mean, there's not definitely really, easy. We're, we're going to yeah. go Josh Allen there. Offensive player of the year. We're definitely going to go Stefan Diggs, right? Yeah. I mean, it can't be anyone else. I, I will throw a shout out, though, to Deion Dawkins, but it's clearly... Stephon yeah, Diggs. but Lyman never win that, right? right like exactly. Um, rookie of the year. Uh, are you a Gabriel Davis guy right now at this point? I think it has to. I think it has to be Gabe Davis uh, or Gabriel Davis. I think uh, 
Dane Jackson had a really good one game performance. Yeah. So there's that. But I I think Davis has stepped into where the team views him as a, a a player on this 2020 team. He's part part of the game plan. Yeah. No question. He's the only rookie that you could say right now is part of the game plan. You know what I mean? Consistently anyway, for sure. All right. So we'll go him. And then the one guy who, who, I don't know if it's a discussion, probably one or two ways you can go, but who's your defensive player of the year right out the minute point? Because I'll tell you what, if we would have done this a couple of weeks ago, I would have legitimately had a hard time to the point where I might've said Matt Milano, just because of how much worse the defense is when he's not out there. I, that alone might've won him MVP, but sure. I think you've seen a couple of guys coming on lately, but anyway, so who's your defensive player of the year right now? Uh, for me, it's Jordan Poyer. I think he is having a sneaky good year. He will not get any accolades just because of how the whole defense is playing, but I think he's been the most consistent best player on that bill's defense all year so far. Okay. Uh, I, I don't disagree with that. I think I might've went Jerry Hughes. That one, you know, he he's really come on. He didn't do anything early in the year. Well, I shouldn't say that. See, this is what I'm talking about where stats can be deceiving. It wasn't right. anything he did. Wasn't showing up on the stat sheet until right. that jets game. And then he just completely dominated. He was the AFC uh, defensive player of the week. But I like Jordan Poyer too. He has, I agree with you. He's had a, a pretty sneaky good week, which by the way, props to uh, Rachel Bush, who by the way, I muted on Twitter. I, I for the election. I just had to, I, I obviously love Rachel Bush, man. She's awesome. But man, her, I just, the political tweets, I, I just can't do it. I, not just all kinds of people on both sides of the fence. When it got to be too much, you know, you mute words. There were just some people that I said, nah, can't do it, man. But anyway, yeah. uh, I agree. I think Jordan Poyer is a fair one. What about, um, what's been your, the best play of the season so far? I'm pretty sure you're going to agree with me on this, but what's been the best play for the bills so far through the halfway? The Zimmer, Zimmer fumble, man. Yeah. It's got to be, how could it be anything else? They won them the game. Yeah. Right. By the way, we should have gave them a little bit of love for rookie of the year. That was a big play. We talked about, you said Dane Jackson had a big game. Well, well, but he's not a, is Zimmer a rookie? Oh well, yeah, been that's in right. You know what? Bit, right? Yeah, you know what? My bad. Forget I said that. Never mind. I'm not even going to bother editing it out either. He's not. Nah, nah you're fine. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's hard because it's his real first playing time. I think right. he still that's had his what first I NFL experience here this year. Um, but yeah, no, I I was trying to think of other plays that were even in kind of contention for that, but just the, what it meant to beat the Patriots and then just a game winning one. And he almost had one that got the bills back in it a couple of weeks before. So good on Zimmer, man. He, uh, it's a fun story. So you got to give the guy, the how award. cool was it seeing his mom so happy on Twitter and social oh, yeah, media? It's it, awesome. I started thinking about that, you know, and someday you got children and maybe it might not be sport. It might be whatever. They're going to do something that makes you proud and you're just going to gleam. And I just kept thinking about that. Like with my kid, you know, him doing something that would make me that kind of proud. What an awesome moment for, uh, that must have been I for mean, his entire family. How cool is that shit, man? Awesome. The kid went to Ferris State. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's a great story that he's even in the NFL, uh, played in the CFL a little bit. So it, it's an awesome story to see him do that. And then to be the guy that seals yeah, that and, monkey and off our back sure. the Patriots. He, that's what I'm saying. An undrafted guy who bounced around. This is his third team in three years. He was with Cleveland and then Atlanta before that. So yeah, good for him. Anyway, that was the best play. We both agree on that. What about the worst play of the first half of the season? To me, it's the uh, Allen to Andre Roberts interception to start 
that Titans game. I think it just turned that game into that weird ass game that it ended up being. It's just you, you can't get the deferral and turn the ball over like that in your own field position and give them points on the board. It's like the worst possible way to start a football game. And I think it derailed that game before it even started. That's fair. And you're probably right. And I'm probably wrong. My play was the same game, but I really hated the Josh Allen, the second interception to Malcolm Butler in the second half. Yeah, it was bad. Never that killed any chance of a comeback. And that was like one of the first times this year because Josh Allen had played fantastic up to that point in the season. And that was the first time where I looked, I'm like, oh shit, man, this guy, was this a facade? What we saw, obviously it wasn't, but um, you know, that, that was my instant knee jerk reaction sure. when I saw that play. It was just a horrible interception, but anyway, all right. So eight games in, what's been the best? Game I will say if the bill, if the Justin Zimmer fumble doesn't happen, uh, I think a tie for the worst play of the game for me would have been giving up the third and 10 to Rex Burkhead against the Patriots. Oh, that kept that yeah. drive going, man. Yeah. Holy cow. Was I screaming at my TV? <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah. a good one for sure. Thank God. And then it would be the worst play. But uh, what about the best game of the year so far for the, as a team? I think it's the Raiders. Yeah, game. Um, I think that it it was close at moments, but the Bills kind of pulled it away. Uh, you had Allen get hurt, but then come back and, and still do some nice things. So I think that was their best game overall uh, so far this year. I agree with you 100%. I got the Raiders running down too. Uh, conversely, worst game. It's got to be the Titans for me. Uh, I think Kansas City was a worse Josh Allen game, uh, and that's frustrating. And that you wanted to see him play better against the elite team like that, but just the way that Titans game win, it got totally out of control having to hear about the Titans bullshit uh, and how they overcame all that stuff for three hours, four hours was just God off. I'll never get that out of my head. You make a good case. I'm going to go with uh, the chiefs game. The Titans game was really weird to me. Everything about it. I'm not it even so know if they were not even know if they were going to play to it being on fucking Tuesday night. All that shit sucked. The Chiefs game for me was a little bit demoralizing just because, and I get it, the Bills made an effort to take away the deep ball and they were going to make them go down the field, but they did. It was just the run defense was, they were just getting beat up man to man. It was just very demoralizing that game. That's the first time where I'm like, you know, because the Bills were 4-0 and and then they ran into Tennessee. I'm like, all right, well, that's one game. This is a big national primetime Monday night game. And this is the, that was the first time all year where I'm like, you know what? This defense is overrated. They're just not that good. That was my thought process at the time anyway. Like, but I talked to you a couple weeks. A- have you? Before that, and I'm pot- you and I were both like, there's no way this team's beating the Chiefs. Right. No, I agree. It's not that I expected them to win. It's just the way Oop, they there. That was, it, was, it was the way they lost. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, just, I don't yeah, know. No, I think either one. Either one has its merits, I think, for the worst game of the year. That Chiefs game, was it was bad, man. It was. It, was it, it felt demoralizing. It was the first time I'm like, man, I just felt like they were toying with us, and that's just how I feel. But anyway, before we get out of here, um, you had a point on Twitter this week that I really liked. And for a preview of the game, we're not doing that. I would advise anyone listening to go check out the podcast you and Greg just did. I think it was out, what, you put it out Wednesday night, right? The game yep, preview? Yep. Go check that out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. But I do want to ask you, you had it because you had a tweet and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but you basically said it would be nice for the Bills to win a game that they're not supposed to win. Kind of elaborate on that a little bit because I agree with you 100%. 
Yeah. So I think a lot of it, a lot of things are made of the Sean McDermott not winning games against certain records. And that's not really what my tweet was about. Like, I, I don't buy into that. I think wins are all wins and you got to get a, as many as you can. But in my opinion, I think in a season, uh, you got to beat the teams you should, which we've seen the Bills do for the most part. I think I don't, I don't, I didn't believe that they should beat the Titans. I think it was a coin flip. I think you play 10 times, Bills win five, Titans win five, in my opinion, right now. Uh, but we've seen them put away the teams that they should be, and that's important to be in a playoff team. But every like really good playoff team at some point has to beat a team that no one else in the nation thinks that they belong beating. And I think right now, a team like the Seahawks, I think even next week, a team like the Cardinals, most people uh, around the country think that the Bills should probably lose that game. So they're going to have some opportunities here. Steelers are going to be another one. To, to go and get a signature win for your season that when you go into the playoffs, you say, hey, we beat the Seahawks or, hey, we beat the Steelers. We could beat anybody in the league. And that's what I kind of meant by it is to, to be one of those teams that is a, a either a Super Bowl contender or, or a contender in their conference uh, and come away with that win to kind of give yourself the confidence that, hey, we can beat any team in this league. Yeah, I would say this would be a bigger upset. Um, I don't even need to ask. Of course it would be. But when I think of a game that people didn't, th- I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my memory's bad. But last year, it's Thanksgiving game against Dallas. Did anyone expect the Bills to win that game? I can't remember. I'm asking you legitimately. I thought that Dallas was a heavy favorite. I don't remember what the line was. They probably were, yeah. But yeah, this would definitely be a bigger win for sure. You know, yeah. I'm going to let you go. But you got the go guy. Ahead. He's the MVP, man. You, you yeah. got to beat the MVP, right? Oh, dude, I'll tell you what. If they play defense like they did last week for the most part, this ain't Cam Newton and throwing a freaking Jacoby Myers or whoever. Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Lockett, Carson, if he's playing, man. <laughs> Jesus, man. It's just. The election's man. been keeping you up. The Seattle <laughs> offense has been keeping me up at night, man. You know, what's funny is here. I'm going to make this the last point here. I'll let you go. So we graded the Bills right now by position, and the Bills are six and two, which is very good. They're on pace right now to be twelve and four at the end of the year, man. But if I would have said, and I, I always say, what if you know these scenarios here? If you and I did this right before Week One against the New York Jets, and I said, Aaron, you told me that the Bills' defense, that their D line was a C plus. Their linebackers were going to be a D and the secondary was going to be a C after the, as good as the defense has been the last couple of years, those are pretty shitty grades. The best grade you got is a C plus. You don't got anything that's above a C plus. There's not nothing touching a B right now, but yet they're still six and two. You know, you'd be pretty shocked. Wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. This isn't, I picked the bills to go 12 and four, but this isn't not how. I picked them to go right. 12 and four. So that's why the, I, honestly, man, I hate doing the preseason projections. You just never know how a team's going to be, a unit's going to be, uh, individual units within a unit. Like so many things can go wrong or different than you expect them to go. But I, I think the best thing to take away kind of at this halfway point is the Bills are six and two, and there's tons of meat on the bone on both sides of the field, right? The offense can play better than they've played the last four games. The defense can definitely play a lot better than they've played. If they can line it up just right, man, this team can make a nice special run. I don't know if it's going to happen, uh, but they definitely can do it. And they, they've won enough games while they're still learning and putting out bad tape. 
that I think they're at least still a playoff caliber team that can win a playoff game, uh, even playing how they have been. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, they're as a whole for the season compared to our expectations, the defense is underachieved. The injury bug has hit them significantly harder but than long term, right? It's all been short term. Right, right. Nothing, nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing, right. Nothing crazy. Nothing season ending. Nothing long term. But it's been a big nuance this year. It's been compared, a struggle. Yeah, it's been a struggle for sure. And you hit on this. The offense has a lot of room for improvement because, I mean, you look at the last, what, four games. They've four scored games, yeah. 16, 17, 18, and 24 points. So you add that in. You add the injuries. You add the, the defense underperforming. And again, to be 6-2 and two halfway through the season with the New England Patriots sunk. You know, they're 2-5, and five, man. I mean, I, I suppose you can never say never, but two and five, they're on life support right now. You know what I'm saying? The AFC East is yeah. really, it's really there for the Bills to grab. And obviously we I both- I think hold- right now the Bills are, uh, it's like some, a couple betting sites, they're at like basically 88% to win their division right now, which that obviously we've seen crazier comebacks, but uh, it's a pretty good spot to be in. They're 4-0 in the division. They're 5-2 and in the conference. So even if they- somehow go whatever not become a nine win team i think they've stacked up enough here early in the season that keeps them right where they need to be yeah well even if they were 88 percent to win the division that would still fall short of as of 9 19 p.m on thursday night the 90 <laughs> the 93 as i hit refresh here one more time the 93.3 percent chance that joe biden has of becoming Next president. And by the way, again, for everyone listening, thank you so much for letting me and Aaron kind of talk it out. You know what I mean? But you know yeah, what? Don't come hey. at me on Twitter for my political takes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were reasonably tame anyway, but yeah, we spent a lot of time talking on it. But you know what? It's a significant part of of history, man. You know, it yeah, happens once sure. every it happens once every four years. So as long as this podcast is going once every four years, you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I'll have to hear about my political takes for another four years. Right. Another again. front-loaded episode with politics before we get into the good Buffalo Bill stuff. But seriously, bro, as always, man, thank you very much for doing the pod. I love the, especially love the Friday shows. I love being able to have the opportunity, not just Buffalo Bills talk, because again, if you want straight Bills talk, if you want a really good preview of the weekend game, I shouldn't be saying this, but... Don't listen to this podcast, man. Go let's check out the Cover One Buffalo podcast that you and Greg talk to. Appreciate that, man. It's just it's that's what that's all about. This is some casual sports talk, but also some life talk, some pop culture. And today just happened to be about an historic election. So again, thank you very much, man. I look forward to having you back on soon. I appreciate that, man. We love that you have me on every time. Thanks. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for today's episode. Very big thank you again, my man, Aaron Quinn. Thank you, the listeners, for not just listening to this episode, but again, more specifically, dealing with some political talk. I'm sure you've had enough, but it felt good, frankly, to get off my chest. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. Follow me on Twitter, at Pamoran Tweets. And again, thank you so much for listening. I know there's so many good podcasts out there. And when you're locked into this one for 30, 60, 90 minutes, it means the world to me, man. I don't take it lightly. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. Be back with a brand new episode on Tuesday.